Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed, also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Right foot ahead of his left. Shot back snap. Drops back three. Right foot throw. Intercepted. It's picked up on the play with his move. The five on the numbers on field. The 20, the 30. Breaks a tackle. 50. Angles to the middle. The 30, the 20. Far side 10. Five. The race. Touchdown. Touchdown. It's a Seattle pick six. Devin Witherspoon. Not that it was in doubt before then, but that was the dagger. Chris's guy, Devin Witherspoon, fifth overall pick in the draft from Illinois, takes it the distance for the pick six that slammed the door on the G-Man. There was one bad MF-er in the house last night. We saw a photo of Lawrence Taylor on the sidelines because Pete Demolitis had the misfortune of being there. The Seahawks defense played like that pack of wild dogs that Lawrence Taylor once exhorted the Giants to be. The Giants were timid little mice. <laughs> the Seahawks were wild dogs. Oh, my gosh. It was stunning. It was compelling. For as bad of a game as it was, I couldn't stop watching, number one, because it's our job. But number two, to see that continue. And the Giants had no answer. And they kept doing the same things. And Daniel Jones kept doing the same things. And at some point, you have to adjust to the fact that you have no blocking. And they're coming after you. And you can't keep doing the same things. I Well, what's he anyway, supposed we, to do? Like, you know, what's he supposed to do? You tell, tell me. Is he supposed to call Fake the an plays? Injury? And, but I know. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, <laughs> Tap out. We'll, we'll, we'll hit on Tyrod, did you see my text? You didn't see my text when it was getting really bad. I said, Tyrod Taylor is searching for Dr. Needle. Oh, Dr. Needle. I did see that. I did. That's that's an old reference, but but very appropriate last night because I don't think Tyrod Taylor wanted any part of that as well. But anyway, anyway, before we get to football, and we've got plenty of time to talk about last night's game, plus a lot of the stuff we didn't get to yesterday because there was so much that happened on Sunday. Right. It is PFT Live. We're here on Peacock, Sirius XM85, Sky Sports, NFL, whenever they put us on. Don't know. Don't really care. As long as we're on. 
put us on whenever you want. Apparently, they'd put us on or putting us on whatever. Yeah, I, COVID. I'm going to keep gonna play that COVID card as long as I can. Putting us on. They had put us on multiple times a day. I haven't checked. I haven't heard. I just we just do the show and whatever they do with it, it's guy. Be our guest. Put it wherever you want, whenever you want, however you want. But that's where we are. Podcast, whenever you want to listen to your podcast, however you get them. We're here. Christopher, good morning. Good morning. I'm getting gradually better. I stayed up and watched the whole game. I went down to my barn. I broke my COVID isolation ward, although I did mask up as I went out to the little four-wheeler to take to drive down to the barn. But it was just nice to be in a bigger space. I didn't like being by myself. I would have liked to have watched the game with my son. We texted the whole time during the game. He was watching at the house. I was watching at the barn. But it's just nice to have a change of venue. Change of scenery a little. in the same room. They let you out of your dungeon. Your wife allowed – she unlocked your shackles and opened the door to let you out, the wild beast of Florio. And let you go down to the barn and watch it. That's good. I mean, at least you got to do that. You know, I mean, uh, I'm again, it stinks. I'm sorry. I'm sorry you got to go through it. And I'm sorry that, you know, I'm I'm most likely the person that gave it to you. So I do feel bad about that. Um, uh, but uh, I, I blame Jason Garrett because he gave it to me first. So I'm going to start there. I'm going to play the blame game on this one. All right. Yep. It started there. He gave it to me. I gave it to you. It's a good old NBC Peacock family type of thing that we're passing around here. We're family. <laughs> well, fortunately, fortunately, unlike you and presumably Coach Garrett, I tested myself and stayed home this weekend. Yes, and I fortunately, know. I have all the technology here that I was able to stay home. Now I'm trying to decide, do I come back this weekend? On Sunday, I felt so disconnected and detached. It's like, I have to come back. I have to come back. Oh. If I feel like I feel right now, right. I probably shouldn't. Yeah. And then there's the whole timeline of, like, like I said yesterday, if I have to mask up all day, I, don't, I can't function. Like, with everything I have to do, moving around the facility, where am I going to eat, how am I going to eat, and I, I don't want to get anybody – like, if it's I, – I, so, I don't know. To be determined whether or not oh, I'll be I back hope on you're Sunday. up here. And it yeah. really – it really was smooth and seamless here, and I'm sure I've jinxed it now for the next time I am here. But uh, yeah, people don't even realize when I'm in studio, I, I did it for years in studio yeah. before I ever had to do it from home. And I'd see people like the grocery store wherever. Well, the grocery store is the only place I go, basically. Like, oh, you do that from your house? N- no, I actually travel every week. I leave my house every weekend, and it's a whole thing. And, oh, I thought you did it in your house. So... Why not just do it in my house? Well, you were, yeah, like you were, everybody. yeah. Well, Except yeah. when I have COVID. You, you got to be a part of the team. We want you up here. And you, I did, you did feel disconnected. You should have felt disconnected. I like when you're there. I like to be able to yell crazy things and then have you laugh. All right. That makes me feel good. You make me feel funny from time to time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't you, laugh. You laugh at and you me, know crazy maybe things with about me. Kirk Cousins, I don't laugh. <laughs> well, there's other things I say, you know, that are crazy today. But yeah, I felt disconnected. I mean, you were on that little video look into our room and it was a little glitchy and digital. I mean, there was like multiple times I walked up to the camera that day and had double middle fingers up and literally was doing this back and forth, back and forth. And you only saw it like one, one out of the three times I did it. So, you know, that, that did make me feel disconnected. I wanted to get a photo of the computer screen with you at that webcam, with the double middle <laughs> fingers, but I, I had failed. 
All right, so uh, that's where we are. Uh, anything else going on that you want to get to before we move uh, on to business? I can't say anything else going on. Nope, nothing, nothing new. Football right. as usual. Football as well. Yep, let's go. How do you feel as a Giants fan? Oh, before we get yeah. to our objective, dispassionate analysis. Right, as a Giants fan. How do you feel? Well, I, I, I was realistic about the Giants a little bit this year. I think you know that. I mean, I did not pick them to go to the playoffs. Right. Uh, I thought, hey, last year. They found a formula. They gelled together as a team. It was a new coaching staff. I think it catches the division by surprise a little bit. They don't know how to, you know, uh, game plan against them. All of that. There was some. Those. Those were some advantages last year for the New York Giants, right? Uh, plus, they had a, a favorable schedule, so my expectations weren't high. I mean, I was like, well, maybe we can get in the playoffs and do that type of thing. Maybe we could sneak in, but I don't think it'd be any better than last year. We either lose in the first round or maybe we sneak by with another game. So expectations were never high. And then when we saw the schedule, I went, well, yeah, they're definitely not high, and I'm definitely not picking them to go to the playoffs. So I never built myself up with this football team. There's still a lot of issues, right? And, of course, you and I both picked the Seahawks to win this game on this night because, yeah, the the Giants had a tough early season schedule, surely. But, you know, I mean, they got their ass royally kicked by the Dallas Cowboys. And they got their ass royally kicked by the San Francisco 49ers to where, you know, and then, of course, the Cardinals better than we thought. But that was almost a miracle in in, in that fact that they came back in that one. So, I wasn't. I didn't go into this game high expectations, but as a Giant fan, Mike, I sit there and go, last night was a effing disaster. It was a disaster all the way through. The play on the field, the chippiness, the sloppiness, the penalties, all of it, and then to be in an NFL football game and, like, what was the total sack number? Was it 11? Where, where did we get 11. to? 9? 10? 11. Like, 11. Here's the funny thing about it, and Troy Aikman referenced it. It it should have been 18, 19. I mean, if he's not a, a miracle worker, how many sacks did he get out of and run away from? I mean, that that felt that felt like I was watching a New Jersey State football game, or it was the number one team in the state, some big Catholic powerhouse that has like seven Division One players, and they were playing some rinky-dink public school team. That had no business on the field. You don't see a quarterback in the NFL go through that. That that was craziness. That really was. And I felt for Daniel Jones as the game went on. It was twenty-one to three, and I was going, they should pull him out. This is it's human abuse. And you know that that was unacceptable with the, the way they looked up front in, in that game last night. It really was. Eleven total sacks. It tied the Seahawks franchise record for sacks in a single game. Apparently, was one shy of the all-time single-game record, and I'm I'm with you and Troy Aikman. I'm surprised they didn't have more than that. It How felt many did like he almost every play get through? Would have been yeah, right, right. Yeah. You know, like but Troy, that was the Tro- one play the Seahawks couldn't stop. That was the one play yeah. they didn't have an answer for. <laughs> right. Daniel Jones running. Right. That's it. Right. 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 That was all they could do last night. Yeah. Daniel Jones running. Yeah. There were no passes down the field. They didn't have time. To, to even look for anybody. The running game wasn't there for anyone not named Daniel Jones. I, and it's funny. I went and looked at the scores we had picked. And I it's like, I assume we both picked the Seahawks to cover. And then I checked the Giants were one-point favorites at the time that we made our picks. Like, what the hell? 
what were people thinking? What had they not watched the Giants play this year? Had they not seen the Cowboys game or the 49ers game? And I know the Cowboys game, and we say this about the Cowboys. If you let the storm blow early, it's going to blow your house down, and it's just over. But they got overpowered and outclassed by the 49ers. They had to screw around with the Cardinals, and they should have lost that one. This team's 1-3. and three. It feels like it's 0-4. They've lost at home by the combined score of 64-3. to 64 to three at home in two games and they've played three times in prime time and they've been outclassed in every one of them. My son and I were texting last night. He's livid that the giants have all these prime time games. Yeah. He's like, why do they have so many prime time games? Well, here's what the NFL does. Right. They look at the teams that were good, who they think will be good. And if you're from New York, you have the built in massive audience. So, and now, maybe the idea was they may not be very good this year, so let's get, let's get them early. game out of the way <laughs> right. early right. before they're ass, before everybody knows they're ass. We think they're probably going to be ass. Let's get their games on prime time out of the way early. But there's still Bill's game, Sunday Night Football, coming up in 12 days. So we get at least one more Giants game in prime time, and they play the Dolphins between now and then. So one and three is going to become one and five. And at what point is the window closed? They were saying last night on SportsCenter after the game, not that. And that's the one time a week that I actually listen to anything else, because after the game, I keep it on because you get snippets of interviews and press conferences that alert you to things like Geno Smith had some really strong comments about the tackle along the sideline. That yeah. His knee. We'll talk about that coming up. But I think it was Ryan Clark that said the season's over. Or maybe it was somebody else. I can't remember. Somebody said the season's over. You can't say the season's over for the Giants. It's just one and three. But if you're looking for reasons to be hopeful, like with the Vikings at 0-3, they were in every game. They yeah, move right, the ball. right. They can make a stop I hear from you. time to time. Your offense there's can – yeah, about, right. Yeah. Right. There's nothing about the Giants that you look at and you could feel hopeful about. No, no. Where's the hope? Now, Saquon Barkley comes back maybe – but as long as the offensive line is playing like that, and I know they still don't have Andrew Thomas at left tackle, which has a huge impact on it, but that's just one guy. I mean, if Andrew Thomas would have been there, how much difference would it have made? They would have found some other weakness. They, I mean, one guy isn't going to fend off that barrage of Seahawks defenders. No, that, that's right. It, it's not. You know, I mean, they're, there's, you know, they're a little banged up at another in the inside, you know, interior part of their own line, too. So that hurts it a little, but you're right. One guy's not going to change all of this. I mean, this was ridiculousness. There, there was, and and you know, whoever said it, Ryan Clark, Scott Van Pelt. I agree. I mean, the future is is dark here. It's bleak. I'm not going to say it's over either, but there is nothing that you look at to go, oh wow, you know, we're close. They're going to turn the corner here, and then. You know, we, we you, you've heard me talk on the podcast and we pick games and everything there. Okay, it's Daniel Jones running. And then because they can't protect and they don't have any, like, you know, bona fide game breaker yet. Hyatt is that guy, but he's young and I guess they still don't trust him. 
but doesn't even matter because they don't have enough time to ever let anybody work down the field. Teams play, let's stop the run, and let's stop the six- and eight-yard pass over the middle. Troy Aikman showed a few clips of that last night. They're playing. They're all down there by the line of scrimmage. What's, what's there to be scared of, right? And then he's not going to have time to throw the ball anyways. So that's where, yeah, you look at it. And then on the defensive side of the ball, you know, hey, it's, they hang in there. Last night, I mean, with the fact is how much they were on the field and did that, the fact that we were at 14-3, to you know, and they were on the doorstep of scoring was kind of miraculous in itself. It really was. Like, damn, they're getting their ass kicked. And we got a chance to make it 14-10 here. A lot of that was because of the defense hanging in there against Geno Smith and Drew Locke and, you know, slowing down the running game a little bit. But, no, I still don't look at that unit to go, oh, well, they're good enough to carry the load for the offense there. So, yeah, Mike, there's not a lot of encouraging signs there. And, and, and I don't see, you know, I don't see it this year. I don't think it's going to happen. I still think there's a talent gap between them and the top teams in the NFC, as we've seen. And, you know, there's, there's some schematical coaching issues up front and things that got to be adjusted in a big way if they want to even survive the season and, or Daniel Jones survive the season. ESPN Stats and Information has the stat of the week. There are two teams who have not run an offensive play with the lead this season the New York Giants, and the New York Jets. That's interesting. And somehow they each have a win. Yeah. And they play on October 29. Remember there was a time that we were going to lobby for dispensation to do our work from the stadium on Sunday, October 29th, when it's Jets at Giants? Yeah, forget about that. Yeah, right. At least one of the two teams will have a lead that day when they play in three weeks and five days. Oh, can you imagine how well, ugly that one's going to be if these yeah. two teams continue? But I feel far better about the Jets right now than the Giants. Yeah, that is For too. as bad as right. everything has been with the Jets, they turned a corner on Sunday night. The Giants on Monday night turned into a corner, and there was a shovel there that hit him right in the face. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, too. And the Jets have, you know... More playmakers on offense. And, of course, their defense, as we saw, can make Patrick Mahomes look mortal in a football game. They're still a damn good D, right? So I'm with you there. I would have more confidence in the Jets as well. you know. But, yeah, it, you know, for now it's going to be the Giants. It's a disaster. You, know, you, you mentioned it before we start the show. There's things on, you know, online, everybody bagging on Daniel Jones. Like what is like no, no quarterback in football has had it harder than Daniel Jones over the last three or four years. I mean, they showed the stat during the game. Nobody's been under pressure more as a quarterback. It's not even close in the last four years as a quarterback than Daniel Jones. And the thing that I think annoys me is because I see this online too, right? Is, oh, his record in prime time, his record in prime time. Right. I know there's a little merit to that, but not a ton. Like, calm the F down, everybody, with your bullshit, snarky ass tweets and crap. Like, what the hell? What, what did you think he was supposed to win that game in primetime last night or against the Cowboys or against the 49ers? I mean, they're so outclassed as a team. We could call Clark F and Kent to come down and be like, you play quarterback and see how it works. It ain't going to work. So, like, it just, it's a disaster. I feel bad for Daniel Jones in that aspect because everybody blames the quarterback, especially a guy like Daniel Jones, and I don't think that's fair in this situation. It's not. Those are the territory, though. I when know. you're making $40 million a year, that's what you get. 
I know, but and, you got to at some point as a fan me. have a fucking brain and go, you know what? <sighs> it's stupid to say that. Like, he has no chance. I'm watching the game, and it's the worst pass protection I've ever watched in the history of any NFL game ever. Like Troy Aikman said, 91 Eagles, he got sacked 11 times. He goes, this feels much worse, right? I remember that game. He patted the ball a few times and waited for Michael Irvin to get open. Daniel Jones and a bunch of them, Mike, like you said, they were on him so fast that he literally was like, whoa, there's a gap here. I can run. Like They, they actually are getting by our guys so quickly that they can't even close in on me quick enough. And it was remarkable to see that in an NFL game. So what <laughs> should the Giants have done? As this was unfolding, because you know what it's like when you're in the middle of a game, whether you're on the field or you're on the sideline or you're up in the booth, that collective effort to try to spot what's happening. What are they doing? What can we do to counter it? How can we change the tire on the moving car? I know I overuse that, but it's the perfect metaphor for trying to fix something while you're already in the middle of the thing that you're trying to fix and you just can't, what could they have done last night to try to counter this? Yeah, it's tough, you know, because there's, there's certain plays where you look at it and you go, wait, they got five blockers, you know, oh, they actually got six here and it's four rushers and they're still getting in. And then Seattle got to the point where they said, wait, no, we're going to rush five every play because we're, we're like, someone's going to win the one-on-one so quickly that it won't matter. And we're not really scared of anybody on your team down the field. So we're just going to do that. But Mike, it like, that's where, Hey, you want to vary up? Like let's keep in six, seven, maybe eight guys. Let's let him have a play every now and then where he can feel like, Hey, I got a fortress in front of me and maybe Jalen Hyatt can run a 20 yard out route or a, you know, a little slant go and 20-yard comeback, whatever, something like that where you can work down the field. It's that. It's screen game. And then it's also maybe you just send everybody out. Hey, if they want to just get out, let's send five out and just get it out quick and play that way. You know, But there, you're right. There was kind of like they tried to play it in the middle, like, hey, we'll still figure this out and be able to block them. And it went on too long before there was any drastic adjustments or any adjustments really for that matter on the Giants and that side of the ball. And the problem is when it's all so sudden and abrupt and it doesn't stop, when do you even get a chance to try out anything different? Like you're just trying to catch your breath. You're drowning. Yeah. And you can't even get back to the surface of the water to figure out how to swim. You're just stuck. And it was never ending. It really was amazing. And you got to credit the Seahawks for sticking to that plan. No doubt about it. You're right. You're right. they let those guys loose. They knew it was working. Why Re- Rewind that play, guys. Rewind that play right there. Look, Mike, these are four-man rushes. Like, look, look at these plays here. This is this is three linemen and a linebacker. Go ahead. Let it play from here. It's three linemen and a linebacker. Look at this. Watch how they go through, and, and, and three of the guys on the Giants don't touch anybody. Let it play, guys. Go ahead. You you. I mean, it's a four-man rush. I mean, he's got one guy. He dodges him instantly. It's here's another four man rush. We don't even touch him. You can't even look downfield and go, "Oh, hey, the first read's about to be open." That's another four man rush. And then you're right. They had the guts to kind of, even when they got the lead, they said, "We're going to still do this because we're just going to keep the pressure on him and smother him here." 
But, I mean, at one point in the game, Daniel Jones was like 17 for 21. And he was like leading the team in rushing by a significant number. And you're going, damn, he's hanging in there and playing great. And then, of course, he threw the pick six, and the whole thing fell apart. And sure, that was his mistake, yeah. But it's hard as an ex-quarterback to look at him and go, how could you make that mistake? How dare you make that mistake as you're under the most pressure out of any quarterback I've ever seen in my life? Like, I'm not embellishing that. That was the, that was the biggest beatdown of an offensive line that I really can ever remember. I mean, that's how drastic of a butt-whooping Seattle put on that Giants O-line last night. And Pete Carroll enjoyed every second of it. Every <laughs> time they showed him on camera after one of those plays, he was thrilled. <laughs> he was. Now, he was coming back to the place where he was the head coach for one year with the Jets and got fired, won a Super Bowl in that stadium 10 years ago. So there was a little extra something special right. for him. But also, it was an opportunity to take his team into prime time and validate for himself and con- firm for the world that the Seahawks are a team to be taken seriously. Yeah. And any other team on the schedule, starting with the Bengals, who will see the Seahawks in two weeks, Seahawks have a bye in week five, you're on notice of what this defense can do. The key is keeping those guys healthy, but if you can put your best guys out there, they're going to swallow you up. You better have a plan. You better have an answer. You better be able to block them. Because they are coming, and they are never going to stop. And it's going to be one play after another, after another, after another. So we've got the 49ers, the Cowboys, the Eagles, the Lions, and the Seahawks. Uh Uh-huh. I'm with you. Those are the five teams that have emerged from the the cluster of 16 NFC teams. And you got the Buccaneers kind of like, hey, pay attention to us. But they'll get their chance to prove it week six when they host the Lions, that game got shifted to 425 p.m. Eastern. Some would 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 prefer that it got taken all the way to 8 o'clock Eastern in lieu of Giants at Bills. But at least we get to watch Josh, watch Josh Allen that night. Right. So um, back to the Giants, though. Yeah. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Dear listener, please close your eyes for this movie theater meditation brought to you by Fandango. Breathe in. Smell the fresh popcorn. Now exhale. (sighs) Open your eyes and proceed to the best seats in the house you reserved on Fandango. Recline. Now, download the free Fandango app for movie times, tickets, and seats at your favorite theaters. Fandango. It's your ticket to the movies. What did you think of the exchange on the sideline after the pick six? When Brian Dayball, because look, Everybody knows by now, every coach, every player, anyone who's on the sideline that may do anything that would be remotely interesting during the game knows anything you do can be seen, can be used, and can become a talking point in the aftermath of the game. So after the long pick six, they go over to the sideline. There's the exchange between Brian Dayball and Daniel Jones, and at the tail end of it, I assume we're going to get there, at the tail end of it, you've got, you've got, Dayball throwing the 
Microsoft Surface tablet, officially licensed product of the NFL, down in disgust and and walking away. What did you make of that? Yeah, well, I think it, it first started before the commercial break, right here, right? He's going, he's going, you had Waller, right? That's what he said, and you had Waller open. So he's showing him that, and Troy kind of hit on it too. He's like, he could have thrown it outside, I believe, um, to Wandale Robinson, who was on the outside of Paris Campbell, who the guy he threw to. Or, you know, in that look, it looked like, hey, the, the corners had come down on the underneath route, and they had the corner route by Waller, right? He was the inside of three. And in that look, you'd think, hey, okay, they're kind of down. Boom, I'm going to hit it in the back of the end zone to him like that. It should be a touchdown. And that's what it should have been. It should have been. Daniel Jones was – I'm not going to defend him on that play. I'm not. You know, but I think it let, like it, the, Dayball let his frustrations come through there. And, and, of course, he expects a lot of Daniel Jones. He pushes Daniel Jones. That's the kind of relationship he's got with him a little bit. And Daniel Jones is the type of guy that can, that can handle that. Uh, but, but at the same time, I do think, like, Dayball, that was a, a hair harsh. I know it's a big moment and it's intense. But I also am like, hey, I know you want to yell at him and say he's open and all that. I don't know if you needed to throw the tablet at the guy who was under the most pressure again that I'd ever seen any quarterback up to that point ever under in my whole life. And that affects, you know, makes you see ghosts and it affects your internal clock like you hear all the time too. So I think that played into it. But certainly Daniel Jones made the wrong read. And like you said, it was the dagger that ended that game. But that's a great point. How are you supposed to make the right read when you're already conditioned to think? Get it out. Before you can do anything. Right. Somebody's going to knock you on your ass. Right. So do you even see him? Do you just look at the first thing? Like, it's it's already flashes and blurs anyway. And it's only going to get worse on a night when you have no time to figure out what the hell is going on. So, yeah, he's open. Yeah, he's back there. But how was I supposed to see it, right? How was I supposed to see that he was open back there in that sliver of a moment when I'm expecting to get blasted because right. I got blasted pretty much every play of the night. And the the, the thing with the, the tablet, he didn't throw it at him. He kind of spun it and walked away. Like, yeah. I don't know. I like... I, I understand it's an emotional game, and Dayball can be demonstrative, and he can let his frustrations be shown, and I, I get it, right? He's as frustrated as anybody, but at some point, you got to understand, this guy is running for his life, not even having a chance to run for his life. Before he can even get his shoes on, he's he's dead, and it's nonstop, and that's going to have an effect on a guy. I mean, this is. guy's going through one of the most difficult nights we've seen a quarterback experience right. rubbing his face in it. And I'm a Brian Dayball guy. We both are. And maybe there's something to it. I don't know. But it really did feel like rubbing a guy's face in it at a time when he's getting his body ripped apart by zombies, not just the usual slow zombies, supercharged, adrenaline-rich zombies that are coming at you from every angle. Like, it's incredible. And – and he, and he survived the game, which is, which is the most amazing part of it. Right. And I, I'm, I thought there was a point where it just get him out of there, get Tyrod Taylor in there, get anybody else in there. There's a point where you got to protect your investment in this guy. And it's almost like the Giants were oblivious to the fact that the problem was the line, not the guy with the ball in his hands. And, and you're right. The fans are all, 
I'll dump it on Daniel Jones. And I was starting to say earlier, Ed Donatel's name was trending. And I'm thinking, why is Ed Donatel trending? He's trending because Giants fans are blaming him and his horrible Vikings defense for them being stuck with Daniel Jones now. Because if the Vikings don't have that Swiss cheese defense in the playoff game and they beat the Giants, they don't pay Daniel Jones $40 million a year. And there may be a little something to that. Without that win, maybe he can't drive a hard bargain right. and get $40 million a year. I hear that. And the other reality yeah. is if they just could have worked out the long-term deal with Saquon Barkley, they would have done franchise tag for one year with Daniel Jones and avoided the long-term commitment, even though it's not all that long-term. We broke it down when the deal was done. I think it's like two It's two years, years basically. They, they can, can get out of it. Two years two. fully guaranteed. Right. But, but... Next year, they're stuck. Like, if this is just disaster. But, but again, again, it's not him. We know what he can do when he has time, like, you know, most other quarterbacks do, to make a decision about what to do with the ball. When he has an opportunity to actually run the play. When he has a chance to look for an open receiver. We know what he can do. You put any other quarterback in that situation last night, Tom Brady... Patrick Mahomes, I guess Mahomes, I don't know. Could he have figured out a way to run around with his hair on fire long enough to get away from those guys? We saw what happened to him in Super Bowl 55 when the Buccaneers swarmed a bad offensive line. Now, he had a bad toe, too, but I don't know that even Mahomes could have run away from those guys last night. I I think it would have been extremely difficult. I mean, you know, again, I know people are going to bag on Daniel Jones, but I think it's a little bit like you look at the Giants and you go – He's like problem 74 on the team. He's one of the best things they got going for them. You know, again, Matt Breida is a cast off. Like nobody wants him as a running back. And he led the team in receiving last night and rushing with his 1.1 yards per carry or 2.1 yard per carry average. Right. Other than Daniel Jones, who led the ru- who led the game in rushing by, by 30, 36 more yards. Right. So, yeah, it's it's we got to all take the context of the situation. I know everybody wants to be cute on social media and get likes and whatever else. But, you know, Daniel Jones, it's it's a horrible support system around him right now. And Dayball and him, they have the type of relationship that I think, yeah, he can, you know, Dayball can lay into Daniel Jones a little bit. I think where. You know, and and I'm sure he'll love him up a little today and and let him know, damn, you know, you did some great things and you hung in there and we had a chance there only because of you. And he'll probably self-reflect too and go, I got to be a little careful with that stuff too because it becomes a a talking point. And then people start to ask, is there there dysfunction there and all that? That's where you got to be careful if you're a head coach. But I think he's an emotional guy and – He's got that way about him with Daniel Jones where, yeah, he can let it fly and say some things to him that maybe you wouldn't see most coaches say to a quarterback. Uh, It was a tough situation last night. It really was. As bad as I ever saw, like I said. And, and, And it was a miracle, like I said, too. And I think Troy said this at one point. It's 14 to 3, and it just feels like, like the Seahawks are dominating and killing the game here. Like they're dominating. Like it should have been 28 to three. And there they were on the doorstep and we're going, are they going to make this 14 to 10 the way they're playing right here? And of course, then the, you know, the pick six happened and the freak, the beast, the Tasmanian devil, as they might call him one day, Devin Witherspoon. Damn, is he unbelievable. He's like, he's fun to watch. He's one of my man crushes in the NFL. 
One of the reasons it was 14-3, the Seahawks offense was not firing on all cylinders no. last night, and it didn't matter. It didn't right. matter. Geno Smith, Drew Locke, it could have been Dave Craig. It could have been Jim Zorn. <laughs> yeah. It could have been Dan McGuire. It could have been me or you at quarterback, and the Seahawks were going to win that game because all you needed was the Devin Witherspoon play because the Giants only scored three points. Here's Pete Carroll after the game talking about Devin Witherspoon's performance, which included the pick six and a pair of sacks and at least six other tackles on the night. He can do it all, and he's made himself into, in my mind, the favorite to be the defensive rookie of the year. And Eagles fans and Lions fans are mad at me for saying that, but I don't care because Jalen Carter can't do this. Jalen Carter can't go 97 yards with a pick six. So (laughs) here's Pete Carroll talking about Devin Witherspoon's performance from last night against the Giants. I've never thought he wouldn't play like this. This is the way we. This is why we t- took him to be active and to show that he could. He gets this game of football and it comes easy to him. And, and he's an explosive, dynamic player. And uh, we got to play him at nickel for the first time. And we, it was this was a process. We getting him back out there. We didn't have enough time. We thought to have him ready. Uh, although he's been working out the whole time and he just he did a great job again tonight. And you can see why we, we like him there. Um, so and we're you know. <laughs> We didn't have uh, Artie tonight, and we, and we didn't have Trey Brown tonight, and so um, he he had to do it all night long, you know, for us. And so it was a, it was a beautiful job. Nickel is a great spot for him. It turns him into a Rondé Barber. Uh huh. And I know that's 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 a premature comparison, but I can remember some primetime games. I remember one against the Vikings in 1999, where Rondé Barber was freaking everywhere, everywhere. You had to worry about him on every play. Is he going to blitz? What's he going to do? Where's he going to be? And that's what Devin Witherspoon is for the Seahawks already four games in. All he's got to do is stay healthy. All due respect to Jalen Carter and Brian Branch, Devin Witherspoon, that performance last night in primetime with the NFL world watching, I know we got a long way to go, but no one's going to forget that. And there's going to be more if he stays healthy. This isn't something that just was a fluke. No. Like the planets lined up the right way. No. That's and he right. had some special powers last night. That's how he is. That's yeah. who he is. That's yeah. what he is. That's why they made him the fifth overall pick. That's why you were touting him so much. That's right. And what makes it so compelling is he's kind of a little guy. Yeah. And he throws his body around everywhere. He's got no regard for his own body. And that's what makes you uh, worried that, you know, can he keep doing it? It's almost like Jamal Adams. Yeah. Uh-huh. You know, Jamal Adams, we saw for all the nine plays last night before he took a knee to the helmet, had a concussion, was upset. As, he, as anyone would be, he waited so long to play again, and he got shut down and ruled out for the night. When you throw your body around like that, stuff can happen. Yeah, uh, he, he's, he's got, like you said, no regard for his body. I mean, there's no hesitation, right? And I think that's what, like, you know, to what you were talking about a minute ago with the top five teams in the NFC and the Seahawks and that, right? And we talk about this and have fun with this conversation all the time. They got a bunch of no hesitation psychos on their football team. And we know that that a lot of times translates to wins and being dangerous in the playoffs. And I mean, yeah, you, you think about that Seattle secondary and Jamal Adams. I know it was only nine plays, like you said, but damn, he still looks pretty damn good. You talk about Tariq Woolen and Michael Jackson and then Witherspoon inside and Diggs. And then Jamal Adams. I mean, that secondary, I'd put that up there against anybody in football. And then you talk about the linebackers and Brooks and Bobby Wagner in the middle, right? 
And then, oh, the pass rush has got something this year. Boye Mafe is pretty damn good. A chain of Nawuso is pretty good. Draymond Jones, who they paid a ton of money to, is really damn good in the middle. And that's why you look at Seattle and go, they got some studs on both sides of the ball. They're one of the teams that can upset this whole thing. All these people who are going, oh, man, 49ers, Eagles, or Cowboys in the NFC Championship game. Whoa, that's going to be unbelievable. That's going to be, it's going to guarantee us a great Super Bowl, right? No, Detroit and Seattle can mess that whole thing up. Uh, there's no doubt about it. Seattle, it, with the, the firepower and some of the stars they got on the offensive side of the ball too, right? They're missing both their starting tackles. Their offensive line didn't just get run over like the Giants did. They're, they had, they're banged up as hell too, right? But they gave their team at least a fighting chance to a degree. But there's a lot of positives to look at of this Seahawks team to think, hey, they're dangerous and they, could, they can upset some people and be a real player in the NFC playoffs. They've already beaten the Lions in Detroit in week two, a game that surprised everyone because the Seahawks looked so bad. That's what makes the last three games for the Seahawks so amazing. They looked so bad week one against the Rams. They've won three in a row now, and they look great. And the schedule has a certain feel when it comes out. The feel of the schedule changes as we get into the season. Yeah, that's right. And now that we are – Four weeks into the season, Chris. I ask you to turn your attention to the package of games that begins week 12, Thanksgiving night on NBC and Peacock, 49ers at Seahawks. One week later, Seahawks at Cowboys. Whoa. A week and a half after that. Whoa. Seahawks at 49ers. Damn. And then the Eagles go to Seattle. That stretch from week 12 through 15, is going to answer a lot of questions as to who the number one seed is going to be in the NFC. No doubt. You're right. I, I, I never really looked at it you know, that far. I didn't remember that little stretch there. But, man, you play, first off, the 49ers, two out of three games, that's going to be personal and chippy. It always is when you got to play, you know, what is it going to be, 11 days apart, something like that there. Uh, or no, it's going to be a little more than that. I think I'm, I'm wrong about that. But either way, it's going to be fresh in your memory. Uh, but yeah, you're right. That's going to go a long way to seeding where everybody shakes out, how this falls out, how we feel going to the playoffs about these matchups. We're going to have a really good feel. But they are one of these teams that, you know, like we're both saying, got the potential to mess with the big boys there. there. There's no doubt about that. They're not playing perfect yet, and they need to get healthy. We know that. But they got the playmakers, the craziness, the coaches that will think outside the box that you go, they, they're going to be able to play with anybody when they do get healthy. At least it seems that way to me right now. And, of course, we know they got some real playmakers on both sides of the ball. Now, one issue that came up last night, I alluded to it earlier, Geno Smith was injured. In the second quarter of the game, Isaiah Simmons tackled him along the sideline, did the hip drop maneuver, a controversial yeah. Hate this tackle. technique. That Hate it. The NFL discussed getting rid of in the offseason, ultimately decided to keep it, even though it's got the same injury risk as the horse collar tackle. But instead of pulling the weight of the ball carrier down, the hip drop tackle entails the weight of the tackler landing on the legs of the ball carrier as he hits the ground. And that is so far out of bounds. And I understand it started in bounds, but that just looks bad 
when the body weight is landing on the legs of the quarterback that far out of bounds, that's another reason to get rid of the hip drop tackle. And coincidentally, or ironically as the case may be, Richard Sherman, member of the Legion of Boom, was vocal in the past about keeping the hip drop tackle. So Geno Smith was pissed. He was, I thought he'd be done for the day. Took him to the x-ray room, had him in the blue tent before that, back at the start of the third quarter. I was stunned by that. And he drew an unsportsmanlike conduct foul for saying something to someone. Yeah. He's still upset yeah, he's about it. He's pissed about it. And his comments after the game, his comments after the game to Lisa Salters were, were very raw and candid. Dirty play. No place for that in the game. Game's hard enough without going out of your way to try to injure somebody. I mean, look, the players don't like the hip drop tackle. And you really didn't need to do it in that spot. No, all you, you had to do is push him out of bounds. Push him. Exactly Just right. Push him. It was unnecessary. That you would be my first problem. You You're don't, right. Right, right. So, uh, and and he he's he's pissed. And now he acts like he's fine. I don't know how fine he is. Because we really didn't get to see him under a lot of duress or pressure or stress in the second half because it was all about the defense. But the good news for the Seahawks is he's got some time to heal up between now and their next game in week six. Yeah, that, that's right. And then you're right. They got a, a, a timely bye week for them. And, you know, you don't always love the early bye week, but this might be one team that's like, you know, we'll, we'll take it. You know, we, we've thrown ourselves around here the first four weeks to the injuries at offensive tackle we talked about. They lost a guard last night. So they need to, to get healthy and shirt up or, you know, shirt up a little bit there. Um, but, yeah, I, that, that's the first thing. One, players are smart enough to know now. We've seen that, the adjustments with all the different type of tackles and all that. You're getting towards the sidelines. You don't need to hip drop tackle anybody, okay? I, and and, and that, that would be the first problem. You know, we, we've seen that. Okay, it's different if it's in the middle of the field and, hey, this is what you got to do. But right here, you know he's not turning the corner. You know that. You're, you're Isaiah Simmons. You're a freak of nature. You're running him down. Just push him or tackle him the right way. And then, like I said, yeah, like you've always heard me say, Mike, I hate this tackle. One, like in the 80s, this tackle didn't happen. And this is where I blame the gloves because nobody falls off anybody anymore. You've heard me say that. As soon as this happens, you don't even have to grab. You're sticking onto the guy. And then you just drop your weight and you're going you're gonna to go down on him. So, yeah, the NFL's got to look at that. It's dangerous. It's dangerous, and we're going to lose people and lose stars because of, because of that tackle, like the Cowboys lost Tony Pollard in the big moment in the divisional game last year. I'm surprised they haven't already gotten rid of it. There's so much of a push now toward player health and safety that, that it should be gone, and maybe after last night and other examples of it we'll see over the course of the rest of the season because the season is still young. Maybe they will get rid of it after this year. Here's both Geno Smith and Pete Carroll after the game talking about the play that resulted in that knee injury to Geno Smith. You know, initially I really just was, you know, kind of in shock a little bit um, just from being rolled up on and having my leg uh, pretty much trapped under the guy. And so um, it, there was, you know, some slight pain. But overall, you know, I was just happy that I, you know, came out okay. So This looks so dangerous. You know, it was all, all of the effect of a horse collar tackle happened with the swing of the body that pulls down on the back of the legs, and he got hurt on that play. Um, so a penalty wouldn't have rectified that, but it just looked like such a dangerous play. It might have warranted a second look. I don't know. And the second look needs to come after the season when they decide what is and isn't allowed. 
I just, there's such a hesitation by the NFL to change anything. They're so afraid that they're going to change something and it's going to open some portal from hell that's going to suck the entire game into it because they did that in 2019 by making pass interference subject to replay review for calls and non-calls, and it did kind of suck the game through the portal of hell for a year until they got rid of it. They're, they're a little skittish now. They're a little concerned about the next change they make that's going to screw everything up. But but this I don't is a player safety thing, screw right? Anything up? Yeah. This is player safety, and there is no unintended consequence. There's an intended consequence, which is keep players from suffering injuries to the low extremities by having defensive players fall on their legs as they're pulling them down to the ground. Yeah, uh, that, that that's the biggest thing. You know, again, we're gonna we're gonna be in this era of player player safety, and we're all for that, right? I mean, I, I think it goes a little overboard when it comes to protection of the quarterbacks. Okay, I certainly know I complain about that at times. But for the most part, I'm very pleased and happy with the things that are being done to adjust the game. And you're seeing the players, you know, they're capable of making these adjustments. And this would be an easy tackle to get out of the game very quickly. And guys would learn right away, like, okay, I can't do that. I got to push them. Or I got to just let all my body weight, you know, from the top go and tackle the guy like we used to see in the old days, not let me grab him and now hold on and swing my legs. Right. That, that's just that, that to me, th- this can be adjusted. It can be worked on and players are smart enough to make those adjustments. I hope they can do that in the off season. I think it's necessary. You're going to lose people's uh, ankles all the time. It's very similar also to right. Dak Prescott. He, his ankle was turning towards London when he got up because of one of these tackles. All right, so they're, they're, that's where I don't want to see it anymore. It, it's tough to get your feet out of the ground in the game as it is already, let alone now when you got somebody grabbing the top of you and dropping all their weight on your ankles like that. We need to take a break, but before we do, I must issue a, an apology on behalf of PFT Live for some of the salty language that was used in the opening segment, particularly by Christopher David Sims. I received an email from a loyal fan who watches our show every morning for years His granddaughter lives with him and his wife. She's in the first grade. She's getting ready for school each morning when we're on the TV. So be advised. Damn. I know kids got to learn sometime, but it doesn't have to be in the morning getting ready for school. When you're in the first grade and then you go to school and you talk about the 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 words that you heard remember the the name that was given to you the man with the small head right when the man with the small head the the words he said this morning we don't want the little girl taking that to school i'm sorry so, you're right i got a little i got a little we'll, emotional we'll, we'll try to do better. it was the giants you know it's the social media stuff it's all that i'm sorry uh, I really am um, for the, the, the bad word I said there earlier. I think I said a few of them, but one was really bad. So I'm sorry about that. Well, one, you, said one, you said one that we probably shouldn't say. Yeah. The others, we, we slip through once in a while or more often. But the other one, I was surprised. Yeah. I was surprised. And yeah. I figured we'll get a text or a phone call or something uh, from somebody for that one. But before that happens, we apologize to the world and especially to our, our good friend who emailed, uh, hopefully, his granddaughter won't get sent home today with a bar soap. Don't listen to the guy when with the small brain. Joe, <laughs> Joe Burrow played through injury. Deshaun Watson did not. We'll discuss that when PFT Live continues right after this. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? 
Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand.